Blog Talk Radio. There's a little hair by the chin. Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Audible. Visit Dungeon Crawlers Radio to start your style member. New intro? No, I got it. Okay, does anybody else give me a push back? Here we go! Broadcasting live from the PCR studio. The Emperor has been expecting you. Where Geekishik and Pandemonium oh. reign supreme. Ah. Your host will discuss everything you need to know about the world of Geek. Oh, yeah. So grab your staff, throw on your cape, and roll your 20 sided die. Because it's time for Dungeon Crawlers Radio. And there it is. Hey, we got it working again. Yay, go so, uh, on. R2 is, uh, he's on loan. <laughs> he's a he's loner. From the Lucas film. You know, he has to make an appearance every now and then. Yeah, for sure. The, for the new, uh, new Star Wars. Try to add me to the Skype call. So, what are you doing? Oh, we're just testing something out. <clears throat> All right. So, we're, we're testing Skype. Yeah. Tonight, we have an epic, epic interview. That we do. We've uh, got to make sure everything works. We must, yes. So we, we've had some gremlins and quirks and, and, and weasels. So, uh, what we're doing is... Uh, you know, tonight we are part of the Wizards of the Coast official book tour for Rise of the King, written by R.A. Salvatore. And we just want to make sure that, well, we can bring our, you know, R.A. Salvatore on the show. Yeah. So we're you're having an issue over there, I see. Uh, curse you, Skype. So, um, well, okay. my computer is in the middle of the resource, so if that's the case, uh, we'll, we'll get this up and run. Oh, yeah. We have a few minutes. We got this. Um, I mean, the other option... Is uh, I can hear him. I can. Uh, can you hear me? No, you can't hear me. I can hear me. There you ah, there we go. There we go. There's my cable. So, yeah. My mic cable. Right, I think I need to get him a new mic. Cable. Yeah, just a cable. Just um, a cable. Mic's just fine. We're out of cables. Okay. They're, they're we'll make it work. So, uh, you yeah. can do this. Anyways, <laughs> we'll, we'll do this. We'll have some fun doing this. So we've got a, a few things going on tonight. Uh, besides talking uh, with Bob, mm-hmm. we are going to be uh, talking about Project Blue Mask. We're going to yeah. let some people out there know what's going on with that. We're going to be talking some geek news. Mm-hmm. We have some gamer board emails. Okay. No, that we actually have emailed in questions for tonight. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, it's like people are kind of excited for this uh, I know. for this interview. And then I am as well. And then we will be, you know, premiering for the first time ever, a day in the life of a barbarian chef. Nice. <laughs> okay. That will be happening tonight. All right. Wow. So we'll do that. I, uh, I was the barbarian I was, chef will not wait. I was busy last night. <laughs> I so, guess so. So we're gonna do that right after the interview. <laughs> yes. Right out. Right at the top of the hour. Yes. Okay. And, and I did write out a really cool audible drop, but I left it on my desk at work. Sure. So, oh, because all of my audible job drops, which have been golden, by the way, are not don't meet your level of perfection. There's actually information that was left out that we have to add. Oh, well, you need to give me the information. So that, I is actually why, yeah, that, that is why I wrote it up. Oh, so, it has nothing to do with you. Uh huh. No, it's just 
you know, because of the process we've had to re-go through, yeah. we, we found out some stuff we were doing. Ah. Yeah. So, I just uh, want to say, a big drop. Yes. <laughs> With that said, everyone, welcome to Dungeon Crawlers Radio. This is Rob. This is a guy named Joe. This is great, mighty, and powerful Lord Plagoon. Audible Drew. Actually, this is Word Drew. Yeah, I decided. Audible Drew. It's Word Drew. Word Drew. I'm gonna stay with that handle. Uh, I think think you should be uh, Audible Drew. Audible. Audible. (laughs) Decora is out sick. She has something about uh, slicing um, plant DNA yeah, and like something like that, and, and then it kind of went fuzzy. And then Her illness know, is so bad she had to flee to another state. Look, here's the deal. I kind of think it's suspect, because if you have to go see a specialist in Idaho, um, I think that's a little suspect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. in, in Idaho? Yet again, I, I, I think she's, she's working it, it, with plant it's, DNA. It's plant DNA. She needs some potatoes. Okay. You know, potatoes, the ultimate um, healer. Or <laughs> Gene Spice potatoes. <laughs> the ultimate starch. <laughs> so uh, if anyone is interested in uh, getting their call, their questions answered by R.A. Salvatore, he'll be on with us in a few minutes. You can call us at 626-226-1475. Also feel free to email in questions to info at dungeoncallersradio.com. Which we have. Yeah. tweet them to at DCR underscore show. Or you can always uh, check us out on there. Uh, hit them up on the uh, Facebook chat. There's going to be somebody who's going to be uh, watching that. And uh, other things. Yes. And other things. And other things. <laughs> what else will they If you have my cell phone number, you can call that. It won't Please get, don't. It won't get on the show, but... Uh, Actually, I can make it happen. You can call. Your cell phone, phone number that. is... <laughs> No, I'm not gonna give away cell phone numbers. No, 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 no. Yeah, not, not, not cool. No, no. Okay. All right. Yes. Not our cell phone numbers. We'll give out other people's cell phone numbers, but not ours. Yeah, there's a there's a lady I know her name's Jenny. It's uh, eight six seven. Uh, five three oh, and I always forget her last number. I think it's an eight. I, uh, we'll we'll have to get to it, but uh, Jenny. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to call there. her. Yeah. You, you want to call her. Well, That's the writing the is on the wall. Is it in the bathroom stall? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I am Dude, pretty that's sure. That's as bad as I'll get tonight. I promise, Ryan. <laughs> <All right. laughs> okay. Uh, so, a word of warning, everyone. Let me like, get this out of the way. If you need to open a box and you have your choice between either a key or an actual box cutter, which are made to open boxes, always take the box cutter. Never use never use the other implement that is closer at hand. The scar on my thigh says you're wrong. Says I am wrong. <laughs> Always use the dumb, dull instrument instead of the really sharp. So, so did you like learn this the hard way? I or? did. I taught. Yeah, I gouged my I gouged my right thumb. Ooh. On a key. It's like it's one like, of the worst things to gouge too. Oh. You use it for everything. Yeah, it's like I use that. I use it for opening doors, for 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 all my driving. I use it for all my typing. And ow. Ow, that hurt. Yeah. Oh, okay, so it looks like uh, we do. We do. Let's add them to the call. Go ahead and take it away, fellas. Welcome to Dungeon Crawler Radio. Who's this? Hello. This is Bob Salvatore. How are you? Hi. I'm doing well. Um, had the wrong number. Been trying to call in. <laughs> all right. We've just been teeing it up for you, so yeah. you, you've perfectly timed it. Well, perfect. 
Perfect. I got the tweets out, and I got it on my Facebook page, so hopefully we'll get some people come over and say hi. Awesome. We've already got yes. emails coming in uh, for questions, so I'm sure everyone's been uh, checking that out. So, but once again, thanks for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure having you on. And hey, what's, nice. what's going on in the background there? You guys are disappearing behind some noise. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, no, some noises. Yep. Uh-oh. Well, this is a We broadcast out of a gaming store, so apparently it's really noisy. It normally isn't, but... They shoot people. Yeah. Shoot people. All right, done go. and done. Lagoon. I'll go take care of this. All right, Lagoon, Lagoon's going to... Uh, let me see if I can filter out any of that noise. Yep, but why don't we go ahead and just... Uh, why don't we start firing away, then? We got some... Uh, haha, see, you get it? You get it? Guns oh, fired? Ha, oh, ha, yeah. ha, ha, ha. Okay. Oh. No, I know. I'm I'm a lesser person for having said that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, go ahead. Yep. Well, you got you got the questions all lined up here. So why don't we go? Ahead? Well, so Rise of the King is the follow-up book for uh, Night of the Hunter, uh, which I, I if I remember that it is out at this point in time, correct? Which one? Rise of the King just came out last Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, Rise of the King. And so, Night of the Hunter came out last March. Yeah. So. And what, that's the sequel to The Companions, which came out last August. Well, not this August, but a year ago. August 2013. Yeah. So what does Rise of the King have in store for us? I, I know that's kind of a loaded question. Cause I know yeah, it's can, also a question uh, that's impossible to answer on, the, on an hour radio show. Um. You know, I I look at all the books, and I've told you guys this before, but I look at all the books as just like one long story that just keeps rolling. And so we've got, um, obviously, for people who have kept up, the Neverwinter Saga, some really strange things happened, and it ended with the last threshold, and everyone was like, what? And then the Companions runs alongside that book and kind of explains things a little from a different perspective, kind of ties it all back together again. And so now what we have is we have this group of adventurers who have a very strong purpose because of one who's convinced that he's there for a reason, the dwarf, and his job is to go and undo some, go and undo a wrong that he committed 100 years before, essentially. So the Companions Codex has really become like, this quest to undo a wrong and it gets big and there's a war involved and there's all kinds of side players that nobody expected um dark elves and dragons and giants oh my and and what i'm really doing is wrapping two stories together here i'm wrapping together the story of of what's going on in the silver marches and the big fight the war going on, along with what's going on in the Dark Elf City, mm-hmm. which is going to affect everything in a bigger way as time goes on, meaning next summer and the year after that. <laughs> so okay, so is, that's how that's how tightly we got to pack it. In. Uh, it really seems like the uh, the uh, supposed uh, I guess uh, the, the the chess player, the chess pieces are just getting they're get, they're they're getting to the point of endgame almost uh, with the way yeah, uh, you get things to the have been point where, going on. Yeah, you get to the point where people who think they were the kings and queens find out that they're the pawns, and it gets pretty <laughs> nasty when things like that happen. 
So there's, there's a lot going on. It's it's um I'm having a lot of fun with it because this is why I love writing dark elves. Because when I'm writing a dark elf book, I'll I'll have the story and then I'll say, okay, that's the story. What's really going on? So I'll look below the story and I'll say, okay, that's what what is going on with the drow. But what's really going on with the drow? So I go down a little deeper and I find the story below the story below the story, and it, it's like an onion. You just keep working your way into the middle layer by layer, and that's why I love writing the draw. They keep me on my toes, because everything that I know that they're doing in the book, they're doing for reasons I haven't figured out yet. Oh, so I have to nice keep writing reflection. to find out why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, it's a nice mirroring of the underdark, because right? it just keeps going deeper and deeper, and you find out more and more. Yeah, uh, talking about onions, the, the ending of Night of the Hunter, best ending ever. I did not see that coming uh, when Dahlia turned around. Uh, uh, and, no spoilers. No spoilers. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, that, that, was, that was last. That was March. <laughs> if you haven't read it already, you're <laughs> That's a good point. Are we talking about a new matron? <laughs> Yes, that was uh, like I had to stop. I was I was listening to it on an Audible. I had to stop my truck off the side of the freeway and just go, "Oh my god! Oh my god!" Yeah, well, think about it. If the matron mother wants to show the other seven or six at this point sitting around the table who's in charge, can you think of a better way to do it? Oh, I mean, she just slapped every one of them right across the face. <laughs> yes. Oh man, and not not that uh, funny like Three Stooges way where she just runs her hand along all seven of them. No, no. Wapa, 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 one at a time. Oh yeah, Hopefully. oh yeah. Maybe with her snake-headed whip. I mean, it, <laughs> she really. And so, of course, that that causes all kinds of events to go into motion as well behind the scenes. That's why I love the drow. You'll never run out of stories with them because every one of them is plotting something different, and there are twenty thousand of them. So. It's good to be home. Stories. Sounds like you've got job security in hand. Well, yeah. as long as people keep liking what I'm writing, and as long as I'm having fun writing, I'll keep writing. We'll, we'll leave it at that. So, you know, I, I do have a question, you know, with Quint. Becoming, you know, a vampire at the end of Gonzalez. Now, was that part of your story arc, or was that something Wizards asked you to do, or was that just something that naturally occurred? No, it's something that I came up with when I um, IDW asked if we wanted to do a comic, and I was okay. thinking, well, what what's an offshoot that I haven't explored here? And I thought, hmm, this might be fun. Yeah, and I went okay. there. So it was it was it was something that just seemed to fit in correctly. Nice. And then of course huh. he goes from there to a even a more weird existence and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> even more weird. Yes, very yeah. weird but uh exciting. So, yeah, Vampire uh, was the easy part. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what's worse, you know, the, the fact that he's a, a crazed battle rager but now he's a crazed battle rager slash vampire. Just, that's terrifying. Un, unkillable, undead. Yeah. Or he's the spirit of a crazed battle rager vampire. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's onions. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's part it's of the onion. Another layer. Just peel down. It's our own little point onion. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I'm just—I have so many questions. I'm just going to keep. Yeah, just. 
Yep. Are we going to see any repercussions from Drizzt's experience through the Neverwinter series? Because you know he was kind of going in a darker place. Now yes. that the companions are back, are we going to see that in these later books? Yes. There will be massive repercussions. Most good, some really bad. Uh, oh yeah. That, mm-hmm. that just tickled my Well, it depends how many more books I write. I mean. Yeah, sure. It depends how, you know, I mean, I've got one more under contract, and we'll see after that. Mm-hmm. So then what made you decide to start wrapping up the, um, or I don't know if it fully wraps up, because I haven't had a chance to read uh, Rise of the King yet, is, um, you know, how do you, uh, are, what made you decide to start focusing more on the, the story of Bruner and how, how he's... Um, um, and I guess wrapping this part of the story up. Hopefully, we'll see the wrap up of the story. Um, yeah, the Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf will wrap a lot of it up, okay. um, and will lead to a new place in the Archmage, which is coming out next summer. Um, the Bruner's story was really my way of answering all the people who would say, "You can't do that." With, with what I did in the Companions. Because mm-hmm. Bruner was saying, you can't do that. For very real reasons. Very valid complaint, if you will, about what happened. And so Bruner's looking for bigger purpose. He was the one that was really looking for bigger purpose. So I decided to go with his story first. Now, there are other stories I want to tell. I really want, you know, I mean, uh, Spider, Regis, left left his love in, in Aglarond, and he wants to go back to and I want to bring him back there and show it. And then I've got Brother F. Afrinfear, who has, is taking a major role very soon. And I love the character, and I want to explore where he goes. And, you know, I've got a relationship on the cusp with some other characters in there that I want to, I want to start bringing forth. Um, I mean, you know, if I had my way, I would write two books a year in the realms, and one would be a Dritz book, and one would focus on one of the other characters, like I did with the Cell Swords. Now, do you find yourself uh, drawn to Aphra Fenfair because of you know the love you have for Evelyn from the Demon War series? Because I mean, uh, I've always liked monks. I mean, my Demon Wars Reformation game that I did on Kickstarter last year, the the four classes or the four the four skill trees you can pick from are, are four distinct type of Coronan or Demon Wars monks. Uh, it's always been my favorite class in the game. First edition monks, I always loved them. If you could survive, you could become really powerful, but survival was really hard. Um, and I like the idea that at every level you gain new abilities, not just your your te- your Thaco goes down or whatever. You know, I, I always liked that about the monk class more than any other class in the game. And to me also, the monk represents... It's more than like the guy who who scribes books in a in a monastery. I'm talking about the monk who is, you know, think of a, a Shaolin monk or a, or, a, or any of the the real classic warrior casts of our own history. When I say monk, it's a generic for um, the Shaolin, um, the the uh, the ninja, the all of them. The monk is the generic that I use for that. It's basically someone who dedicates his life to a principle and an aesthetic. And we follow that. And in, in the fantasy genre, that also means a fighting aesthetic. Mm-hmm. So it's no accident that my Demon Wars RPG game that I did, the first four 
primary four classes in the first in the first product in that game were all different monk classes. I see. So then, what sort of uh, what sort of early influences did you have um, that made you really gravitate towards the monk? Were you a fan of like the uh, like the kung fu movies? 70s and 60s and 70s, or, or was there something? Oh, the old show Kung Fu with David Carradine, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I consider things like Umberto Echo's The Name of the Rose to be. I'm a Catholic kid from Massachusetts. I grew up Catholic, and you know, this is a, this is a part of the culture I grew up with. And um, so, you know, I mean, the The Name of the Rose, which is a wonderful book. My Umberto Echo was probably the one of the biggest inspirations I ever had for for a novel series. That that book inspired Demon Wars, and that book and the Sarah McLaughlin song um, "Building a Mystery" were the two things that really pushed me toward Demon Wars. Really, really. Huh. Okay, I'm, I'm kind of curious. And how how do you how do we get from Sarah McLaughlin to Demon Wars? I'm wondering what the connection is. Have you ever heard Building a Mystery? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, look at the words. Okay, so it's just a straight lyrical, direct lyrical um, correlation. Plus, I love Sarah okay. McLaughlin, so there you go. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> it, you know, I, I, I guess it's funny because I, I look at different things that, that inspire me and move mm-hmm. me in directions, and, and things hit me at certain times in my life that seem right to me. And yeah. The Name of the Rose, I think, is just brilliant. It was a good movie, too, but the book was just brilliant, beyond belief. And it just it just drew me into this world of the monasteries, you know, the people who who hold the who hold the libraries in their hands, you know, and the amount of power that they accumulated aside from the kings at the time was was enormous. Um, these are the people that that hold the hopes and dreams of the population around them, which is what the book Mortalis was all about. Um, in the book Mortalis, which is the fourth book in Demon Wars. It refers to a poem that was written by this bard hundreds of years before him. When he told the poem in the monasteries, the monks loved it because he was questioning what happens after you die. But when he went out and told the poem among the populace, they branded him a heretic and killed him. Because you can't tell the people that. We have to we have to keep them believing. We have to keep them in line. So it, it kind of reflects my bigger view of of kind of the paradox of, the good that religion does and the bad that religion does. Mm. I know that, and that always makes for interesting reading. It makes for interesting writing. You know, I always say I write, to, I write to know what I know, but don't know I know. Mm-hmm. And and this is how I sort things out. All right, so it uh, looks like we've got a caller in here. Let's see uh, Let's see who it is. All right, welcome to Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Who's calling? Hello? Hello, you there? Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, we can hear you. Do you have a, you have a question, Hi, Rob? John, I'm calling from Delaware, and I Hi, was John. curious. I'm a diehard Drizzit fan, and uh, started the series probably five years ago and haven't put the books down since. And every so often, I get excited because I see where somebody's posted something about, oh, there's going to be a Drizzit movie. And then I read it, and I'm let down to see that it's just some kind of fan fiction that a fan has put up. And I'm just curious. I know that Wizards of the Coast and all that own the rights to Drizzt, 
so uh, Mr. Salvatore doesn't really have a say on if it gets made or not. But what can we do to progress, you know, seeing this, you know, made into a film where you've got, you know, the Avengers and all that stuff going on? I think there's a big following for Drizzt, and we all want to see a Drizzt movie. Proactive fan support, that's awesome. Well, here's the thing. Um, It's Hasbro that owns Wizards, that owns the realms. Um, And Hasbro does do movies. They did the Transformers, G.I. Joe, Battleship. So they, they've been doing lots of movies. And there's if, if you read Hollywood Reporter at all, I don't usually, but i got a Google alert on it. Um, there's a fight going on right now between Hasbro and Sweet Pea Entertainment, which is the company that did the Dungeons & Dragons movies because of an old contract. And I think that so there's, there's some legal tussling going on, and there's wrangling here and wrangling there. I know there's been interest in a Dark Elf movie or a Forgotten Realms movie for a long time from a lot of different places. But once you start talking about the amount of money involved and the, amount, and the size of the companies involved, it gets really complicated and really kind of legalese and really kind of, um, you know, who's going to control the merchandising, who's going to do this, who's going to have that. So, to make a long story short, the best thing people can do who want one is write to Wizards of the Coast and tell them you want one. And then, you know, it may happen, it may not. I have no say. Okay. If fan interest, then the fan base might be able to push their hands and see them do it almost. Well, the fan interest, if, if they saw a lot of fan interest, that would certainly make them feel more comfortable about getting a partner and dumping a hundred plus million dollars, whatever, into the, into a movie. Um, You know, I mean, if if they feel like there's a lot of interest for it, that always helps. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Is there uh, anything else you wanted to ask Bob? Um, Yeah, sure. I just did finish uh, Rise of the King. No and spoilers. Was that just a tease at the very end of the book when, I don't want to give stuff away, but uh, Wolfgar puts his hand on Regis' shoulder, and then yep. it ends, and he flips the page, and then there's like 10 or 11 blank pages. Was that just to mess with us and make us think there was supposed to be more there, but there wasn't? No, that wasn't to mess with you. I was actually on the call, on the phone with Wizards of the Coast today. Um, there were supposed to be ads there. Or at least the words, the end. That's the end of the book. I <laughs> In fact, this was brought to my attention on my Facebook page like a, about about a week ago. And the first thing I did is I went, oh, my God. And I, I called up the manuscript on my computer, and it's all in there. It, it's <laughs> I, I compared it. That's the ending of the book, I promise. And uh, so I was talking to Wizards today, and I'm like, what happened? And they're like, ah, we're not really sure. Because I'm like, why didn't you have Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf advertising or Aaron Aaron's book? Um, Aaron Evans' book came out is coming out Tuesday, I believe, or it came yeah, or it just came out this Tuesday. And um, you know, why wasn't that book in there as an advertisement or, or Fifth Edition D and D or Back to the Sundering? And and they don't think they have a good answer for that yet, but. So the first right. the first printing of the hardcover has a lot of blank pages. I think what it, you can do with it though is you can write all your hopes and dreams and swears for what I'm doing <laughs> <laughs> and curses for me for what I'm doing on those ten pages. You know, write your own little book there to tell me off or say thank you or whatever. 
<laughs> well, no, my wife wanted to know what was going on because I'm over here flipping out, and she's like, what happened? I said, I'm not sure. I think the book ended, but there's like 10 or 11 pages here that are blank, so I'm thinking R.A. decided to mess with us a little bit. Well, see, now, this is how you know I'm a good guy because when you asked me that question, I could have said to you, oh, really? Oh, no, there's 10 more pages. I've <laughs> <laughs> searching them out online trying to find out what I missed. Yeah, maybe you go buy a whole bunch more copies of the book looking for it, whatever. <laughs> but no, that's where it ends, I hey, promise. I'm, I'm hooked for life. I'm hooked for life. <laughs> well, thank you. Go read Demon Wars. You'll, yep, you'll yeah, thank me later. Sure. All right, thank you for your time, sir. Okay, yep, thank take you very care. much. There, there's secret, right. visible writing on those pages. Yeah. You have to get you know, the lemon juice and the heat. <laughs> you, you need to be able to view, to view in the, to see things in improvision. Ooh, improvision. So, that's there what it is. There you go. Yeah. 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 Okay. Or they, or they just your duty pages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Hey, Bob. Um, so uh, Rev and I joined the um, Google Plus Hangout that you had the other night. Uh, the other night, yep. just on a whim to, to come in and, and hear about you and Aaron and Troy and, and all of the other authors, Ed and them, um, talking about this. And you mentioned Aaron Evans' book. And I just, will you mind talking about the thought process and the planning that went behind? coordinating all of the releases of these books to kind of wrap up everything? Well, it wasn't, I mean, the big thought process was in the sundering, because that's really where we wanted to make sure we were staying away from each other, or we were all on the same page. Um, And now with, with what's going forward from the sundering, it's more a matter of, um, each author has to get in tune with what's going on in the realms at the time of their book release. So we have summits. They bring the authors up. We sit and talk. Um, the last summit was just me and Troy because of where we're going next year, and our books were the only two books involved in that particular story arc that they're doing. Um, there's a lot more communication than there used to be. We've got, we've got biweekly um, phone calls where we all dial in. Because it's hard. When you've got so many people licensing the realms now, you've got Cryptic and DDO and, you know, IDW. And so there's a lot of different hands that are outside the company on the realms now. And we're all trying to make sure we all know what each other's doing so we're not contradicting or stepping on each other's toes too much. But for the, for the authors, it's easy because we can always pick up the phone and call each other anytime we want. I mean, Ed Greenwood and I talk a lot. Troy Denning and I talk a lot. Aaron and I talk. You know, we, we can call and talk to each other anytime we want. Um, we try to stay out of each other's way. We've all kind of staked out our little areas and our little characters. And... You know, we we kind of, we have to come into the bigger stories, but that's when we when we specifically sit down with wizards and they tell us what's going on in the time frame that our book will be released. Nice. Nice. Okay. Uh, I just have a question. You know, and I hope this isn't spoiling. What was it like in that moment when you were writing, you know, Crooner's Return to Mithril Hall? I mean. That had to have been, you know, just an amazing moment, just the words flowing out, in my opinion. You're talking about the new one? Yes. Um, well, I was trying to keep myself in Bruner's mindset because there's so many things going on with him. He's worried about two of his friends who may be gone. He's worried about... Um, 
He doesn't want to go in and step on the wrong toes, and yet he needs to drive things in a certain way. Because he mm-hmm. abdicated, right? He gave the throne over to Conrad. It's Conrad's hall. And that's yeah. hard for him. Because Conrad was a king. He actually gave it to Bannock, who gave it to Conrad. Right? But Conrad's the king. And, and so Bruno can go in there and say, I'm the king. Conrad can say, you're going to jail. That's treason. I'm the king. So, I mean, there's so many different things going on in his head at the time. You know, he, he's still torn about what happened with the Treaty of Garam's Gorge. He walks into the middle of the war. The orcs started. So he's like... All right, I'm right. See, I'm doing the right thing, but what's my place in it? So, and if you go back to the companions, I mean, he's been in Mithril Hall three different times for the first time, if you will. If you go back to the companions, that was even, that was much harder for me. Because in the companions, when when Brunner goes through Mithril Hall, he visits his own grave. I mean, his father's grave. Mm-hmm. And all the, you know, this is when he's doubting the value of any of it. So every time I'm using a character like that, and I'm going to a place that's supposed to be like either a great triumph or a great trial, I, I really have to get myself immersed in that character's mindset and keep try to try to imagine. It's almost like being an actor as the writer. You know, as the writer, you're the actor for every part. It's a one-man show. And I, what would I be feeling? I'm going back to Mithril Hall now. I've just left two beloved friends behind because there's nothing I can do about what happened to them, and I don't know what happened to them. Okay? I, I've, I've left them behind. I've got in front of me this massive conflagration, part of which I think is my own fault. I don't really have a place in the hierarchy of, of the Mithril Hall anymore because they don't even know I'm here. I'm not part of it and haven't been part of it for almost a century. So I just try to put myself in his place and what's he seeing? Yeah, that would be so, kind of difficult. It's fun. You find your, it's so much you fun. You find yourself like sobbing or shouting out or anything like that while you're in the middle of the scene? Um, not usually. <laughs> um, people look at me strange when I do that. Um, I remember when I was writing stream, when I was writing, um, what book was it? In Sylvan Shadows, the second book of the Cleric Quintet. And I was writing the scene where Ivan and Pickle are trying to put a rock up a tree to set a trap. And I was laughing like an idiot for like a half hour. <laughs> amazing <laughs> yeah it was it's every now and then it gets to you yeah <laughs> you'll often hear a nice profound sigh of relief from me when i'm writing if, if something just comes out and i think that's just that works so well that fell together so well or drift's essay really touched me when i was writing it then you'll hear this and i have the headphones on so i don't hear myself but all of a sudden i'll notice everybody in my office is looking at me because I'll just give this big sigh of relief that it worked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, so well, you're when gonna... you're writing, you always feel like you're standing, you're walking down this this wonderful winding road of adventure on the edge of a cliff. And if you take one step the wrong way, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Hmm. Yep. So, uh, all, right. all right. So we got a break here for about 30 seconds here. We've got to pay the bills. So uh, this first, or I guess the second half of this interview is going to be brought to you by Amazon.com. When you're done listening to DCR tonight, you can log on to Amazon.com, or even better, just log or just go to the sidebar at DungeonCrawlersRadio.com, clear out your cookies, shop as normal. You can find yourself a copy of Rise of the King or any other of Bob's books, which you totally should. And, and if you don't, so help me. That's Amazon.com. <laughs> that was awesome. Okay. <laughs> Moving forward. So, talking about interesting scenes, I actually just got done with the uh, scene with uh, Wolfgar and Penelope. And the only thing that was coming <laughs> to mind, I, 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 I just kind of chorkled to myself, and I just started going, Mrs. Harple, you're trying to seduce me. What, were you trying to channel the graduate, or uh, am I just in the wrong mindset? Had nothing to do with the graduate. Wolfgar came back as a complete heathen. I mean, Wolfgar, Wolfgar figures he paid his dues and he did everything by society's rules the first time through. This time he's just having fun, period. Well, that and you know, the last life was so hard on him. You know, he spent time yep. in the exist. He was an alcoholic. He was an old guy up in the uh, in the thing. And this 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 new Wolfgar just kind of seems to be like reboot. Yom Springer woot. Um, this new Wolfgar is is gonna is, is gonna make little Wolfgars all across the realms. I think. <laughs> <laughs> He's just, and, and Penelope's the same way. I mean, he's not doing anything she didn't want to do. Um, you know, she's a hedonist. She even says it. She doesn't believe in the gods. She doesn't believe in an afterlife. She believes in having as much damn fun as she can. There are lots of people like that. They don't usually admit it, but Penelope admitted it. It's funny because with all three, with all four of the characters I brought back, I brought them back for different reasons. They all have a different role to play. In that question of if I could do it all over again, knowing what I know now, and so I'm giving them each distinctive paths. Mm-hmm. So, what is it like then writing writing a character that is so drastically different from, I guess, effectively himself? I mean, how, were you just like, let me bust out a chart here, let's see exactly what the opposite of his old self, let let you know, let's do com- far end of the spectrum. But he's not. He's not. Mm-hmm. He's still Wolfgar. And the core values are still the same. He's not going to go hurt somebody because it feels mm-hmm. good, you know, emotionally or physically. That's, that's just not who he is. He, he's still the same. The core values are the same. He's just, you know, I, I think of friends who, who were widowed young or divorced after a bad marriage, and... There's different paths that they take after that. Sometimes they try to do it over again. Other times they go in a completely different direction. And so for him, it's more of an external thing. Internally, he's the same guy. He just wants to smile. Nice. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a it's the um, simple motivations I think that can prove to be the most interesting because rather than fill, because I mean, he's already gone through his tragedy and and we've we've already seen him be at his like effectively at his Wolf lowest guy point. Wolfgang to but, be over a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. He watched his kids grow up, and some of them die. He watched his grandkids grow up, and some of them die. Oh. He had a full and complete life within the the mores and tenets of his society. Mm-hmm. And now he's completely acting as if he's on borrowed time, because in his mind he is. He's also the one who... 
he's also the one who still doesn't believe mm-hmm. that if he had gone into that lake, he's, he's not convinced that he was going to the halls of Tempest. He's become much less certain of the afterlife than he was in the first time around. Because he doesn't know if this whole thing wasn't just a wizard's trick. Oh. Remember, when Wolfgar was in the abyss, Urtu, the Baylor, in tormenting him and torturing him, would create alternate realities around him with illusions. Mm-hmm. And he'd think that he was having children with Caddy Bree, only to watch the demon murder them in front of his eyes. So Wolfgar has been through this before, and he's not sure what's real and what's not, so to hell with it. He's just going to have a good time. <laughs> yeah. So do we have any um, yeah. viewer email? We do. So, we do. Let's get that. Alan Barr, a good friend of ours, Yeah. actually uh, wanted to ask the question of what was your inspiration, or where did your inspiration for Artemis come from? Because one of his favorite characters, and he just wanted to mention that uh, your books molded his uh, younger years or his childhood. So he wanted to give thanks um, for that. Well, very cool. Uh, Artemis originally was called Job Security. Yeah. I, I wrote the Christmas <laughs> Shard, and I had a really good time with it, and I was hoping they'd give me another contract. So I threw a little twist in at the end where Regis walks into Bryn Shander and there's this assassin there who's got a jeweled dagger and the blood drains from Regis's face. And that's really all I ever thought of Artemis at that moment is he was, he was the guy that was going to scare Regis so that people would want to know what happened with Regis so that TSR would give me another book to write. <laughs> so, <laughs> but then as we started going on, and I got to under, now I got the other book to write, now I got to show the guy a little bit. A lot of things became very his motivations, who he was, and what I what I always thought of Artemis is that's who Dritz feared he would become had he stayed in Menzo Berenzan. Because in Trary's existence on as a as a child on the surface world was every bit as wretched as Dritz's existence in Menzo Berenzan. So he came to hate his society but he had no escape from it. So in a way he's kinda of like Zachnafane. Right, Dritt's father, who stayed in Menzo Berenzan and, and was pretty ruthless in killing other drow. Um, so he became kind of the dark mirror for Dritz. And, of course, Artemis hated Dritz because Artemis believed that he had to be passionless. He had to be, he had to just focus on the fighting. Nothing else mattered. He was a killing machine. He was an instrument for other people. He wasn't going to get involved in their games. He was just a perfect fighter. And then he met Dritz, who's the perfect fighter but has love and has family and has friends and opens his heart and wears it on his sleeve. And that, if, if Dritz is a better fighter than him, then that makes Artemis' life a lie. And so he became obsessed with Dritz, and then all of a sudden it started click to him that maybe the lie was him, not Dritz. And when he started thinking that way, and he started thinking more honestly about what he had become and how he had become that, I think he got to the point, somewhere around Promise of the Witch King, I think he got to the point where he could look in the mirror and not hate what he saw. And when he he got to that point, that's when we saw, I don't want to call it redemption because it's not like he's going all paladin on us, but that's when we saw a healthier Adam coming forward. 
I, to, I do love the story arc that we're, we're seeing from Artemis uh, that's been slowly happening from book to book. I've enjoyed the character, but now you're kind of seeing a more softer, caring side to that, you know, that guy. Oh, don't get carried away with that. Will easily stab a dagger into your chest and walk away. Um, if he's oh, mad at you, he still will. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I, it, it's really good to see, you know, but I, this stories are just so so amazing that I mean I picked up the book and I was I was done in 48 hours I could not put it down and that's how every book has been it's just been you're just entranced and you're walking right along the side of Dritz and the companions and you know just like you've written them you, you have a more intimate relationship with them but it's just like every book is you're on the road again with your friends walking down the halls and experiencing the same experiences with them and that's just so amazing i, I love the book because of that because it does bring you in like you are one of the group well the other thing i'm trying to accomplish with these books is that i want these books when somebody picks up a dritz book even if they haven't read one in a while, I want them to feel like they felt when they were first playing D&D, first mm-hmm. discovering the realms, first discovering fantasy, you know, the escapism, the escapist joy that is fantasy. So for me, for a lot of my my readers, I think the Dritz books are almost like time travel back to their college days or their high school days. Yeah. And that's that's kind of a nice thing. I I'm very happy with that. <laughs> No, I mean, that's exactly what it is. Now, with what happened at the end of the last one, the darkening coming, you know, how is this going to play out? I mean, what are we going to see? I I, I know I've, kind of, I've read what's going on, but I, I kind of want to throw it out there for the listeners. You know, what's going to happen? Well, there are ulterior motives for what the drow are doing. Okay. There are ulterior motives for what the dragons are doing, uh, which played out in a separate storyline with Wizards of the Coast, uh, the tyranny of dragons, right? Yeah. And there are ulterior motives for what some of the other Jark Elves uh, maybe aren't happy with the way things played out are doing. There's also ulterior motives with what Loth is doing. Uh, basically, during the Sundering, Loth tried to grab the weave of magic as her domain, yeah. and she failed. And when she was trying to grab the weave, weave of magic, most of the magic users, powerful magic using dark elves, are male. And so a lot of them, like Grom, Sabrin, and some of the other, other wizards, took hope that this would mean that maybe their society might become a little less patriarchal. Maybe they won't have a glass ceiling quite so low anymore. And, of course, that's going to be dashed against the rocks in a hurry. So there are ulterior motives from some of the drow who are really mad at what's happening within drow society. Meanwhile, there are there are many reasons that the Dark Elves are causing the trouble in the Silver Marches that has nothing to do with the trouble of the Silver Marches or the Silver Marches at all. Discredit Dritz to Warden is part of it. You know, kind of a punch in the black eye to the goddess that stole him from Loth. Uh, so there's so many ulterior motives going on at different levels from all the players. That tying it together as I go forward is my biggest challenge. I'm having a blast. 
So, you have any other questions? Uh, uh, yeah, actually, I, I, I'm just kind of curious to, to switch gears just a little bit here, Bob. I was just wondering, um, can you talk through uh, when, you know, starting this whole series way back when, or maybe more recently with Demon Wars, um, just what your process is for world building um, and kind of coming up with some of those concepts? And we have a lot of people in the audience who would maybe be interested just hearing about your process and how you go about shaping a world. Um, well, the Demon Wars is the better example for that, yeah. because Demon Wars is, um, I built the world. You know, yeah. Forgotten Realms, I didn't really build the world. I mean, Ed Greenwood did. Sure. Um, so, what I did with Demon Wars, the idea that I had to begin that whole process was the gemstone magic system. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I really wanted to explore this gemstone, the idea of using gemstones as the conduits for magical or or supernatural, by their terms, powers. So, you know, Graf may control lightning, a, fi- a ruby can enact a fireball, that kind of thing. And then I had to figure out, well, how would these gemstones be controlled? How would people get them? And so that's how the whole aurora of the world came into being and the island where the stone showers happen every seven generations and then you know who will control these now i need my social structures so i started working on the abelican church because demon one of the primary goals of demon wars remember i said name of the rose was a big impetus for it well name of the rose really talks about the catholic church at the time of the schism right when you had one group who were saying you know we should be poor like Jesus was poor and, and sharing everything with people, and another group saying, no, we should be wealthy so we can build these soaring cathedrals so that people can understand the glory of God. And this was a real fight in the Catholic Church between the different factions of, of monks, and then you had the Reformation that came out of that, which is the name of the, the RPG, is Reformation for a reason. Um, so Demon Wars, it's the same fight, except instead of being about money, it's about the gemstone, where you have one faction of monks saying, we're the voice of God, these are the gifts of God, we use them only. And another voice saying, yes, but if we teach that peasant in the town where we aren't, all, we aren't at most of the time how to use the hematite, the soul stone, he can alleviate suffering. So that I had that schism that I wanted to do in the American church. I had the gemstones. I, I pulled out my National Geographic and found the maps I wanted to use. You know, generally speaking, the general landscape and terrain that would fit the world. And then I started building in the cultures. And the way I do cultures is I look at our own history. So if you look at Demon Wars, the Alpinadorans are very much like the, the Vikings or the Norse. Um, if you look at Haunts the Bear, that's very much like you know, medieval England. If you look at um, Baron, the Baronese are kind of a cross between Middle Eastern culture and Far Eastern culture. And if you look at Togai, the horsemen of the Togai Plains, they're more like the Mongols. And so I built societies based on societies of our own history because cultures, I mean, when I did Menzo Baron for the Forgotten Realms, I, I had, you know, the old modules, and I had the, the fiend folio. That's all I had. So I called TSR, and I said, well, I got this. What else you got on the drought? And they said, there's, that's it. 
I said, well, what do you want me to do? They said, well, we'll give you carte blanche to create the Dark Elves in the Forgotten Realms. And so I was thinking, how do you do an evil society that hasn't consumed itself? And I found an answer. And my answer was I pulled out my own, my, own, uh, my old copy of um, Mario Puzo's The Godfather, and I based Menzo Berenzan on the families of New York. Five families of New York. Except I guess it would be the godmother, right? Because But um, so I always draw on history to create my races, and whether they're elven or dwarven or or human, they have to make sense to people who are familiar with cultures. I like that. So building yeah. that world started with the gemstone concept and the church concept, marrying the two together, figuring out the best ways to put the church in control of the gemstones, and then building the other cultures around them in which they would fit. Okay. So then to uh, to follow up on that then is for your for your upcoming books, especially um, especially your follow up to Rise of the King. I mean, there, is there going to be a, a section of our own history that we're going to be seeing kind of creep in? To are we going to be able to um, being able to pick that out, or is it, or is this just going to be continuing on um, the, the sort of path that it's already on? No, it's not really analogous in that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but for example, if I'm doing a war in any of my books, if I'm doing mm-hmm. a war, I really want it to feel like a war that you might have seen in our own history. Just like same thing with culture, right? Okay. So, but no, I I mean, it doesn't, there's no way I would do a one-to-one type of relationship between the books and the the real world with fantasy books. It it wouldn't work. Um, On the other hand, um, if if I write a short story like Bones and Stones, where, you know, the dwarf goes back out among the bodies of the fallen after that brutal battle with the orcs. And he sees the orc, his orc counterpart down there. Instead of just going at each other's throats, they're, and I'm, you know, they're, they're, they're both kind of looking at each other. They're both devastated by what happened, and they just kind of nod and go their way and do their thing. And I wind through it the entire drift um, essay that he did in one of the books about all that's left are bones and stones. And you think about that. I mean, um, I don't know if anyone's watching, for example, Outlander, where uh, it's a wonderful series by Diana Gabaldon, or Gabaldon, I don't know how she says her last name. I've never heard it pronounced, but it's a wonderful series, and Ron Moore's doing it on Stars right now. And it's about this woman in 1940-something England who gets transported back 200 years and finds herself with, with the Scots right before a big fight about the Saturday when the Scots are trying to break free of the Brits. And the thing, I, the thing I take from that is you see all these people, and these people are very immediate. You know, they're important to her. But these are names that nobody's going to remember. You know, we think of this, this, this kind of like this glorious... I will be immortal by my actions in this battle, but no, you won't. Uh, very, very few people will. You're going to be bones, and you're going to be bones amidst the stones, and nobody's going to remember who you were. And it, it's really kind of the futility of the war that I try to get in all my books. 
good. Hmm. Uh, that makes sense. Well, so depressing. Yeah, it does. As depressing as it is, but it <laughs> <laughs> <No, no, no. laughs> makes perfect sense. So we have another question from one of our listeners. Uh, Kevin writes in, wondering if we're ever going to see a prequel story that involves Zack and Page and Jarlax. Because it's kind of hinted that, you know, several times that they've had a you know, friendship. Will we ever see that, maybe? David, I missed the first part of the sequel story what? Or a prequel story what? Uh, a prequel story involving Zach Nefane and Jarlax. <laughs> I get asked that question more than how do you pronounce Drift's name. Um, <laughs> a few years ago, I mentioned that someday I would like to write a book about Zach Nefane and Jarlax, so way back in time, long before Dritz was even born. Because there's been a lot of hints that they were friends, and they were. And um, I, I would like to write it. I still would like to would like to do it. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> we're pushing ahead. Everything is being pushed forward in the Forgotten Realms. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're doing books that are relevant to the story arcs that are happening in the games and in the, with the licensees of the realms. So there's no way that I could get the grab the six months out of my schedule and write the book to go back at this time. I still want to do it. There's a lot of stories I want to tell. I'd like to tell about Athergate when he was younger and what happened to him. There's there's a lot of stories I want to tell that I probably maybe I'll do them as short stories or something. I doubt that I'll be able to do them. Anyway, now, and then Rachel, another, writes in, wondering, since we've seen the Companions return, would we maybe see Catterly return? Um, haven't really looked his way yet. He's still walking in circles around the ruins of the spirit soaring. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, at some point, it's, you have to say enough is enough. On, on what's coming back, and again, I, I've only got so many books to write that I've got time to write, and only so many books they want me to write. And you know, right now I'm finishing up a book called The Archmage, which is due out next summer. And you know, as of December 12th, when I turn that book in, I'm unemployed. So I don't know. I don't know what's next. Or do you think you might uh, head back to uh, Corona and start working on your own world some more? No matter what happens, I'm heading back to Corona. When I did the Demon Wars RPG Kickstarter, which went very well, one of the um, reach goals, the stretch goals, was a novella. And so I wrote a novella called The Education of Brother Thaddeus, which takes place immediately following Immortalis, the last book of Demon Wars. And I could I could have turned that into a novel in short order. I, I had so much fun going back into that world and rediscovering the characters that I had left behind there. And then subsequently, I have I have sold that book, that novella, to Audible. They're going to do an audio version of it. I'm hoping for Will Wheaton to do it. We'll find out. And um, it's also going to be out on Kindle very soon. Um, it was a blast, and and I loved going back to that world and. And, you know, we talked about the movie earlier and how I just kind of shut up and say nothing. I, I'm kind of tired of everybody else owning what I write, even yeah. more as I own. So, you know, I'm hoping that there are more Dritz books. I'm hoping, and I think there will be. I think we're going to sign a contract. And um, There's just a lot of things going on in the world right now in the publishing industry. But um, 
If I'm unemployed, that means I'm self-employed fully. And my, logically, the place I would look is Demon Wars, and I have I have basically two ideas for novels. One would be picking up on the education of Brother Thaddeus and going forward with that, and another would be completely unrelated to that part of the world and just a couple of characters that I came up with that I've already absolutely fallen in love with. So I'll keep busy, and if I'm not in the realms, I most likely will be in Demon Wars. So, Bob, you mentioned um, having Will Wheaton read the audiobook. I'm going to confess right now that on the way here, I uh, pulled up my Audible copy and listened to Comrades at Arms and, and had uh, Ice T narrate a little drift. You know, so. <laughs> uh, how's that? I mean, do, you, do you get uh, a lot of questions or flack or anything for that? Or, or um, oh, I haven't gotten any flack. Yeah. Anyone's gonna give me flack about something like that is crazy. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's uh, this whole thing's supposed to be fun, right? What's more fun than that? I uh, I was walking down the streets of Boston, heading for Fenway Park, on the phone on Ice T's podcast. You talk about nice. the real moment. I mean, I didn't even know they were doing the book. I didn't even know what they were doing with the collected stories. We're talking about for people listening and saying, what are they talking about? I have a book out of collected stories that I've written in the 27 years I've been working in the realm, so over the course of time. Um, so it's called The Legend of Dritz, The Collected Stories, and it includes a new story called uh, To Legend He Goes about Wolfgar, and then all the other short stories and one novella that I wrote over the years set in the realms. And my wife one day comes in and she says, hey, read this. She's got a laptop with her. And so I start reading, and she had gotten a Google alert on something, and she went, clicked over to it, and it was Ice-T's blog where he's freaking out about it. He went in to read an audio book, and it turned out to be a and d book, and he couldn't pronounce any of the names. And he was losing his mind and, and all this other stuff. And as I'm reading it, he's talking about flying horses and talking swords. And I looked at Diane, and I said, that's Comrades at Odds. That's my story. Yep. And so I called Wizards, and I said, hey, did Ice-T read my story? And they were like, oh, I ruined the surprise. We wanted to surprise you. And they got Ice-T to do one and Weird Al Yankovic to do one and David Duchovny and Michael Chiklis, Sean Astin, Melissa Roche, right, Bernadette from The Big Bang Theory. Will Wheaton did one and, and Felicia Day did one, which is great because those two are have become convention friends of mine. I really love them. They, their geek cred is absolutely 100% for real, and, and I love them both to death. They're, good, they're really good people. So I was thrilled that they were in it. And... Um, yeah, they did this collection, and, and I've, I've missed a few, but they've, they've got like 12 different readers, and it's bizarre, the lineup they got. It, it kind of blew my mind. It was a lot of fun. No, it's great to listen to, and Audible just had a feature-free uh, download, I, I assume, in anticipation for the release of Rise of the King. And, um, so I, I picked it up. Um, they actually did the free download for 40 days in... A celebration of the 40th anniversary of Dungeons and Dragons was my that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and everyone that watched our video, Bob Junica, and we went out and grabbed it. As soon as we finished talking to him, he left, and we like picked up our phones and started. Talking. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing is, um, Audible does this thing every year where they call it the perfect pairing, and they ask their listeners to vote on the narr- the reader author combination that that is perfect and last year i just found out victor bevin and i won 
It's the perfect pairing. Victor's been reading all the books. He read Rise of the King as well, Night of the Hunter, The Companions. There's only a couple he didn't read because those were done by Brilliance Audio before Audible did them. And Audible owns Brilliance Audio, so the books were already done. But he's done almost all of the Dritz books from Homeland to Rise of the King. And uh, the readers voted that's the perfect pairing. So it, it's I love his work. He's a really yeah. good guy. He's an author, too. He just had a, book, a fantasy book come out, which is very cool. But um, So Victor's been doing an amazing job, and the readers seem to really love him. Uh, the listeners, I should say, seem to really love him. I mean, if we don't get a movie, I would love to see you know these Dritz books come out in graphic audio. I mean, the Demon Wars versions of these are amazing. And even the Highway um, Well, they're all, Audible has the rights now. Audible, you know, and, and graphic audio doesn't work through Audible, is my understanding at all. Okay. So. You know, I love what graphic audio did with the Demon Wars. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, it's all about it's all about who's got the reach and how can you do it. And like I said, everything gets complicated, whether it's movies or audio books or publishing in itself. It all gets complicated, and there are a million things going on behind the scenes that I don't know about. Never mind the reader or listener doesn't yeah. know about. Um, but. I'm thrilled that they finally went back and did all the Dark Elf books because people get every now and then they would say we're going to do an audio version of this book and they do one and I, and I keep telling them you can't do that people like their collections to be complete in the same format you can't you can't do an audio book of Sea of Swords if you don't have audios of the books that came before it it won't work. And, they, you know, the, the people buying the rights wouldn't listen, and nobody would listen. And finally, Audible and Wizards came to the agreement and said, you know, we really need to do them all. And I was thrilled because I knew it was going to work. And I've seen, the, I've seen the numbers, and it's working like none of us believed. I mean, Homeland has been an enormous hit over there. Um, it was one of the first they put on their Whisper Sync program, and, I mean, they're thrilled, and I'm thrilled. And they've got a wonderful reader and Victor doing it. And look what they did with the collected stories, right? They brought in all this firepower and just blew it out of the blew it out of the water. It's wonderful. All right. Well, everyone, uh, go out, pick up Rise of the King. It, you won't regret it. If you haven't read any of books, go get them. Uh, the Demon War series is great. Crimson Shadow is, is great. Uh, you know, every Dritz book you will know, just love and be completely enthralled. The, the fight scenes are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, do I get so to do run out. Go right ahead. Yes, please. Yeah, please. Wow, you're breaking up big time. Um, two plugs. First is for the Demon Wars Reformation game. Um, it's, it's a RPG setting. It goes along with things like Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder. It's got a lot of systems like the Gemstone Magic System that you should be able to bring over to your game if you don't want to break up your game. Otherwise, come play in the the, the World of Corona. My son Brian was the primary designer on it, taking an old game that I made 20 years ago and bringing it up to date. And uh, Brian is a game designer. He has been for six years. He works for a major computer game company on one of the most popular games in the world. So he knows what he's doing, and it shows. We've been playing it for almost two years. I love it. It's simple. It's elegant, and it's easy to play. And the better, the more you, effort you put in, the better you'll be as a player. So that's a big plug. And the second plug is the best place to buy it. And if you ever want any of my books signed or even personalized, and this is true of a lot of authors now. A lot of authors have opened up their own stores. And my 
My wife has a store called rasalvastore.com. I came up with the name. Everyone laughed at me, and then they used it. Um, where you can buy any of the books. They're all there. The new one's there. The Demon Wars Reformation book is there. Clan Battlehammer hats and shirts are there. And you, they'll come signed. The books will come signed, and if you want them personalized, there's a place where you can push a button and say, make it out to Tom or something, and you can buy personalized and signed books. So there's my plug. Now my wife won't kick me out of the house. <laughs> That's awesome. And we'll throw the link up uh, to that store on our Facebook page if you don't mind. Bob. That would be wonderful. Yeah, uh, I'm excited. I, I'm, I, you know, years ago they put out a uh, kind of a for third edition a version of the the rule book to play in Corona with the gemstone magic. Yeah, that was one of the D20 systems. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, was, it was rough. And but, unfortunately, uh, it came out right before D20 completely collapsed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I thought fast. Uh, that was um fast forward games. I thought they did a I thought they did a pretty good job on it actually. Um but this game's different. This game is its own system and, and it's 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 very elegant and it's very simple and yet it's not. Okay. Well I'm gonna have to run out and grab a copy because I love the gemstone magic the idea. And it was unique, it was something different, so uh, I'm gonna have to pick it up. So everyone else, pick it up. Send some money Bob's way. It's already sell the store. It's a pretty yeah. easy uh, website. I'm actually looking at it right now. Yeah, it's not and that hard. The cover art for the uh, the Corona role playing game, I want to buy. Just the art. Um, yes. Yeah, what I did. Let me explain the process. When I did the Kickstarter, I have a lot of very talented friends from 38 Studios. A lot of whom are doing independent work now or side jobs. And I knew immediately it was either going to be one of two people to do that cover, and one of them was Scott Duquette, and I managed to get him. And Scott, when Scott was at Harvard, he won the Blizzard Art Contest and was on his way to go work for Blizzard when we intercepted him at 38 Studios. And he came in there and pretty much... Everyone started gravitating toward his concepts for the environment. And really where Scott shines is, is in the cathedral, um, castle. That that's his that's his sweet spot as an artist. And I knew I wanted him to do that cover and it's amazing. When we do the next Kickstarter, which will be coming up in a couple of months, one of the rewards, the backer rewards we're hoping will either be a a big uh print of that cover or a jaclay, which you know looks more like an art piece, but is rather expensive. Of that cover, so we'll have backer rewards that will include that cover because everybody. I mean, how can you not love it? It's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, oh. absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, well, let us know when that Kickstarter gets started. We'll throw it up on our. But inside that yes. book, inside that book, there's Larry Elmore art, there's Todd Lockwood art, there's Parkinson art. There's art from Joe Mirabello, another Scott Duquette piece. Um, Joe was one of the artists at 38 Studios. Brian Labore, one of the animators at 38 Studios. Aubrey Hodges from 38 Studios. A couple of new artists that my layout person discovered that you really should pick up Levon Jahanian and, uh, and, and Melissa. And I'm telling you, it just, it just, it all came together with some incredibly talented people. And I can't say enough good things about it. Wow. 
So the, I mean, yeah. the art in that book is actually pretty strong. And the other thing is I didn't make them conform to any style. I explained what Demon Wars was to them, and I let them do their own thing. Because I didn't want it to be pigeonholed. Sometimes you do that. Like if you're doing a computer game, you want all the art to look the same. But with a role-playing game, I don't, I don't adhere to that. I wanted to have variation because role-playing game, you play so much of it in your head. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. anyway, it was a su- really successful Kickstarter, and I'm going to be doing another one. We're doing the Knights next, the All Heart Knights. Yeah, so we look forward to hearing about that then when they, when it comes around. All right. Yeah, that's uh, com. I actually linked it up on our Facebook already. So click that and uh, get your book. Yes. And also a plan battle. You can get any book there. Comic books. We've got the comic books there. Including some hard-to-find covers for those comics. And the the art in the comics is amazing. I have uh, Cutter and, oh, wow, that's just... Well, Cutter was done by David Baldean, who is out of this world good. Amazing. Working with him was amazing. Well, yes. All right. You got anything to say? Nope. That is it. it. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. We appreciate it. Everyone needs to go pick up Rise of the King. Yeah. Every, like I said, any book Bob has written is just pure gold. I, I, I love it. Pure entertainment gold. In fact, I have hardback and stuff. There you go. And paperback covers. So, uh, and then, of course, I go back to the anthology collection. I'm crazy. But that's okay. <laughs> so, you know, thank you again. The book is out now. You can go pick it up at RHL's store or Amazon or any of the, the brick and mortar stores. Now, where are you going next? If I remember right, you're heading to uh, Portland or Seattle? This yeah, week? I'm going to I'm going to Portland on Monday. I'll be at Powell's in Portland, uh, largest independent bookstore in the world, I believe. Just a great place. I haven't been there in a couple of years. I can't wait to get back there. Besides, the guy owes me a uh, Peter, who runs their science fiction section, owes me a lunch because I want to bet. Um, and then I'm going up to Fort Lewis, uh, Joint Base Lewis-McChord up in Tacoma, Seattle-Tacoma, more closer to Tacoma, I think. But I'll be there on Tuesday. And then from there, I fly down to San Diego, and I'm psyched because I'll be back in Mysterious Galaxy. And I haven't, I've been at the Redondo Beach the last couple of times. I haven't been at the uh, San Diego Mysterious Galaxy in like three or four years. And they're just wonderful people. Mary Elizabeth Hart is who I want to be when I grow up. I love her to death. I love um, Patrick Heffernan, who works there as well, and, and so many others. These are people who just love books, and they've got this wonderful store. Anyone who lives in the San Diego area who loves science fiction and fantasy who hasn't visited Mysterious Galaxy is just missing out on a, on a great thing. And, and then I go up to L.A. and I'm going to Emerald Knights Comics in Burbank. They backed my Kickstarter. They were one of the one of the stores that backed my Kickstarter, so I was very happy about that. And those guys are just great. They're just, they're just fun-loving gamers. We should have a good time there. And then I'm going to the Barnes & Noble in Huntington Beach on Friday of next week. And then the following, then I have the weekend off. I'm taking my grandson to Disneyland. Woo! And then then I'm going to um, Arizona State University, the new new bookstore over in Arizona State University in Tempe on uh, Monday. And then then my tour is done until Saturday of the week after, the 25th, 
where Ari Salvastor will have its first appearance at a Renaissance fair, King Arthur's Fair in Connecticut. I'll be there signing books and selling books, which is kind of cool, on uh, Saturday the 25th. And then I'm done. Then I fall down until Christmas. And uh, then we'll wind it all up again in the spring, I guess. Mm. That's great. Well, everyone in those locations, go check Bob out. Go get your book tonight. Go pick up a copy. And uh, that's that's a pretty hefty schedule just a few weeks. You know, we don't tour as much as we used to. And it used to be a lot more grueling because there were so many bookstores when we would go out. You'd go into a town and you'd do 15 drop-ins before you're signing. Now there, there just aren't that many bookstores anymore. So it's it's not nearly as grueling as it used to be. And we don't tour as much as we used to. Besides, I write well on planes, and these are long flights, so I get a lot of work done. <laughs> I do remember you saying that on the Google Hangout. That's where you get most of your writing done so, when, you, when you fly. So that, that's awesome. All right. Well, once again, thank you for your time this evening. I uh, will let you go so you can join your lovely wife and have a wonderful evening. And uh, as always, it's a pleasure, and we'd love to have you back on with the next book. Or if you have any other projects popping up between now and then, let us know. We'll bring you back on, as always. Yeah, or if you find yourself like a plan to yeah. Mm-hmm. If you find yourself unemployed, you can come hang out with us every Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> Open invitation. That's all I'm saying. Well, there you go. Well, hey, great, great talking with you guys again as usual, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking many times in the future. Right. I hope so. Thank you, Bob. Thank, Thank you for you being with us. Have a wonderful evening. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Yep. Bye. Yep. Thanks for you too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, R.A. Salvatore, what else can we say? Give it up for Bob Salvatore, everyone. Very gracious and amazing guy. I love having him. Man. It's literally, we've gotten to the point of just like talking with a buddy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is kind of the goal all along. A buddy at a very long table considering he's he's a sponsor right now. um, It's great, you know, because... We, were, we just wove everywhere, you know, and it was very solid and complete. You know, we talked about his book, the past of Drid. You know, we talked about the audio We talked about his demon war series. Everything you know, he had his hands in. Just an amazing guy. That is just so genuine and so heartfelt mm-hmm. in what he does. He loves his family. He loves his work. And there's there's sometimes when we have authors that come on here that it just they have this you know kind of ego about that. Yeah, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you can tell there's there's that. And every time we have Bob on, there's a genuine love and friendship between us. And it's always a pleasure having him on the show. And if you haven't picked up a trip, go do it. You know, I you know. I remember years ago when I picked up my very first one. Which one was it? It was home. Um, yeah. And I remember looking at the cover and I was like, oh, this is the worst art. Because it was, you know, old. Oh, yeah. yeah. The original covers with the gold weird cap on his forehead. And I'm just like, ugh. Because, you know, I was so in love with elves that I had this very pristine image because of Lord of the Rings, because of Dragonlance and the other series. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's not an elf. And I couldn't bring my... I mean, I remember several times going into the bookstore and buying the latest Dragonlance bookstore or something else and looking at that and going, hmm, eh, no. And then putting it back. And then one of my buddies 
um, Beth Duncan. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. The, the yeah. Just like, you know, we were working. Like, I was working in a call center, which was still in the implementation stage. So I would literally only answer 12 calls in a day. They paid me to sit there and read. But he's like, you got to read this book. It's amazing. So I said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm like, I really don't like the cover. I hit the cover. you got to read the book. So I picked up the book. The next day I went back to the second. <laughs> I blew through the whole book in my shit. And I was like, oh my God. I bought the next one. And it was just literally, I, I was just going back. Buying the next book, every paycheck, going back and buying two or three. This is how infectious these books are. Go pick them up. And now with the new cover, you don't have to worry about my issue. <laughs> you threw yourself on the sword so no one else would have yeah. it. Yeah, you know, there's that whole don't judge a book by the cover thing. I know, I know. And well, that, everybody does. And that really taught me that lesson because the book was a lot better than that cover. So, okay, so it is almost... Uh, yeah, it is 20 minutes past the hour. So what yeah, I didn't get a chance to do my audible drop, but I don't know all the things we're supposed to do for the audible drop now. We can't do that yet. Oh, we can't do that yet? No. Yeah. All right, well, let's we'll not do the audible drop. But, again, if, if you like audible drop, uh, you can go to our page right now. There is a link that you can click on. Uh, it will work. It's, uh, we're still working some quirks out, but that link will work. It's on our Facebook page. It is on our website. Just click on that. Join Audible for free, and you can pick up Rising Pink right now at no cost to you. 30 day free trial, and then after that, you can enjoy it or you can just continue. We'll give you more information uh, because there's some more things we need to inform you of, but uh, we'll be doing that next week and moving forward, which will be awesome to have Audible back uh, yeah. in store for us. And then, you know, just, or if you just want to type it in, it's www.audibletrial.com forward slash Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Uh, no longer Audible Podcast? No. no. <laughs> so, uh, with that said, I am going to play, because we don't have time for Geek News, but we have lots of game reports. We are going to play The Day. In the okay. life of a barber. So we should, um, real quickly, though, remind yeah. uh, remind listeners that if you have any questions for the game report, you can call us. The lines are open, 626-226-1475, and we'll be answering calls at half past the hour. Yes. And, and you can then, always send us an email at info.com if you don't feel like you really want to talk to people. That, you should talk to us, though. You should. But there's that, much better there than that. exciting things that we will discuss about the game report. Okay. Okay. Um, we will talk a little bit about the Blue Mountain before we jump into the game report. But first, we're going to take about almost three minutes for you to hear the premiere of a day in the life of a barbarian chef. So we hope you enjoyed this, and we will be back soon. I want to hear this. Dungeons Brothers Radio presents a day in the life of a barbarian chef. Yeah, I know. I just downloaded all the characters. It was the only thing that was free. And here, sir, behind the rock. Why is it every time you hear a voice that is anything other than a sheep bleeding, you cower behind a rock? <laughs> 
By the gods themselves, I swear a mouse has more courage than you do. Sir, that isn't fair. I, I, well, Dreaded Swamp, I see this is a grand realm of imagination and magic that people from all around the realms will one day come to and laugh and play on gigantic rides with dragons and birds and griffins, all full of color, laughter, and terror. Whatever you say, sir. Silence, Brogar! You don't! You got to scare off the blunder beast, don't you? How will I be able to make the tribe's blunder beast stew if we don't find and slay a blunder beast? Sorry, sir. I think we've arrived at the cave. I, I, I'm gonna go hide now. Excellent! Hand me my hammer of grapflaw and my sword of excellent cutting. By tonight, we will be feasting on the most amazing blunderbeast stew we will have ever tasted in the Nine Realms. Be sure to collect some of those red mushrooms over there. But, but, but sir, yeah. mushrooms of eyes. I, I, I don't think... Broker! Roll a spine and pick me those mushrooms. Pick them with your club. That should spend them long enough for you to pick them without getting bit. Yes, sir. And now I venture forth. Will the barbarian chef survive? Will Brokaw be able to defeat the mushrooms? No, but find out in two weeks when we return with a day in the life of a barbarian chef. All right. All right. That is the day in the life of a barbarian chef. Holy cow! You were uh, you were excited about that idea. I was. That, that idea came across the airwaves amongst the group two days ago. Two days ago. Okay. And <laughs> I wrote a script. I did the voices, yes. Uh, manipulated them some. But we can we can bring in other people. For sure. For sure. No, that's uh, okay. All right. So the barbarian chef is on a quest to defeat the mushrooms. No, he, he's the blunder. Oh, the blunder beast. Brokar is going after the mushrooms. Brokar is going after the mushrooms. Yeah. And unfortunately, Brokar is a bit of a. I couldn't tell. No. <laughs> no. However, Eric the Red will be showing up. All right. Yeah. Is, is the, or no, is it Eric? It's Eric the Black. Eric the Black. Eric the Black with the red hair. Yeah. Uh, given a little nod to Alan. <laughs> Mr. Allen. Yeah. Paladin Games. Yeah. Um, lots of fun. Literally, hey, man. I did that in an hour. You're fired up. I love it. <laughs> It was lots of fun. Look at you being all go-getter. I know. Yeah. We, we've talked about the Barbarian Chef so many times. Now he has a personality. Now he has a voice. And now he has a spot. Oh. There you go. Now he has, a, he has a place to live. Yes, he, he does. Uh, so we'll, we'll be bringing that back every two weeks. Okay. It'll be very short. Not too long. It'll be kind of like a little show. Sure. Uh, like Batman used to be. The, the old-timey radio show. Yes. Oh, Drew, I had to unplug your uh, your iPad. It was killing. It, like, it stole all of my power for my phone. Oh, man. And so, uh, yeah. That's all right. All right. Uh, Apple's a power-hungry product. Yeah. Damn. So, 
see what I did there. So with that said, you know, we do have Project Blue which is uh, there's some stuff that's been happening with that that we want to bring up and talk about yeah. before we jump into the Gamer Forge, which will give time, Joe enough time to return. Excellent. Joey yeah. Bojangles out. Wow. Yeah. Great. So, Project Blue Mask, you want to you jump on this, Drew? Yeah, I guess I don't know where to start. I mean, Project Project Blue Mask is uh, underway. Is, is underway. Uh, it is a an initiative or an endeavor. Uh, endeavor. Thank you again. I've been speaking all day and I'm just kind of fried on that level. Um, for the DCR crew to um, not only start creating some stuff for you, the lovely fans and listeners, um, but as a way to branch out and, and maybe explore some, some future projects. So uh, it all-encompassing uh, Project Blue Mask, as we have it named right now, because it's a secret title of cool. Yeah. Um, where Blue Mask came from, but that, that's just the working title we have. Um, because a mask hides from There you go. And blue is just my favorite color. Oh, okay. There you go. So blue mask. You, you, hear, you heard it first. I didn't even know that explanation. Um, it, it's going to be uh, a collaboration amongst uh, us dungeon crawlers here. Uh, probably basically starting off with a uh, pursuit into some sort of campaign setting um, that we will be developing um, for you all. Uh, and perhaps, depending on a few things, with a few of you all. Um, so we're looking at ways to not only bring the show to the next level, but also uh, ways that we can bring products to the market that our lovely listeners um, that we have now can um, acquire, as well as bring new people to the show. Um, so again, we'll be doing the basics of a campaign setting to start with the intention potentially doing some short story work, uh, potentially doing a board game offshoot. Well, um, short story work is definitely already happening. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've, got, we've talked to someone uh, via our editor. Yeah. Uh, Don't so mention names, though. I'm not. Okay. Some of us are, will be writing some short stories, and then we're going to talk to some of our friends, yeah. our fellow authors, to see if they're going to contribute. Uh, we already have one confirmation. Yeah. We're not going to announce that yet until we get closer. Nah. But, uh, you know, after Bob's advice tonight, yeah, I really have some ideas now. Yeah, um, and then you're gonna. It is gonna be sometime coming, but we will be giving you updates. Yeah. of what's happening and what's going on. Joe has already been fired up about it. He's giving us giving us a long list of NPCs. I'm super psyched. I mean, that's Joe's expertise is filling the world. And now that we have some ideas, uh, it's going to help fine tune his his work on the NPC. So I think we should do. Uh, a flood of gemstones every eight years. That's a 20% rule, right? You change it 20%, it's not a copyright intention. No, we would never do that. Um, but but the I think I think what you're getting at is the fact that if you can latch onto some super freaking awesome idea, um, you can build a world around that. And I was blown away for his parallels to that in the in the uh, Catholic Church and the schism, like that is it was well, what I like from what he mentioned was the fact that you know he took different cultures from history yeah. and that was this group of people and that and I, that's where my brain's like oh yeah. okay that's where it's been that, you know this area could be this and yeah. this area could be that so yeah. that's probably where we're gonna fit a little bit I mean that's pretty common I mean yeah. Tolkien 
whole world is a mashup of mythology and cultures across the country. Or in uh, time, right? Yeah, and so, you know, when you have Tolkien and C.S. Lewis sitting down and, and writing together and stuff, yeah, I mean, you're going to get this meld of Christianity, you're going to get all of the mythology that he was obsessed with. And, and so, I mean, that's, it's, it's awesome to see those types of ideas. I think the coolest one that Bob talked about was the fact that uh, the Underdark and Drop Society is basically the Godfather, but it's the Godmother, right? Like mm-hmm. that's amazing to hear that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that I think a lot of aspiring authors don't realize that you don't have to necessarily reinvent the wheel all the time. You yeah. just have to have a concept that is original, and that doesn't mean that it's completely new. It just means that you're reworking i.e. something from history into a way that fits your world and doesn't seem like a veneer of what you're working And honestly, on. that's something that we bring up quite a bit in the Game Report. Sure. So with yeah. that, we can segue into the Game Report. <laughs> oh, hey. look at that. Segway. Yes. So, all right, let's, let's bring up the Game Report. So those of you that don't know the Game Report, very simply, this is an opportunity for our listeners to email in their questions regarding issues that they've had at the gaming table, or just questions they have in general about, you know, game, you know, role-playing games or board games or anything like that. We we give it our best yeah. shot at answering those. Uh, you know, again, most of it's just based off of our own experience and our knowledge of these games, and... Ultimately, it comes down to what you're comfortable with. You don't have to take our advice, and what your DM says. If but if you player, don't, it's a one-quarter experience correct. penalty. Yeah. I mean, just remember always, when you're at a table and you are a player, the ultimate and final decision comes from your DM. Now that doesn't mean you can't speak to him about the issue, but he does have the final say. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's jump into that. The first question. So Charlie writes in, this might be a broad topic, so let me focus on one scenario where I would like to hear which actions and methods fellow GMs on DCR use. Mm-hmm. A fantasy came, or excuse me, a fantasy campaign runs along. Blue player, or Blue plays a character who is dumb as a door, but good at fighting. The mechanics of the game reward the player with combat techniques and lots of hit points, but mark out that the character simply isn't very bright. Green chooses to play a a bardic character, wise in the ways of the world, and as witty as the day is long, but clearly no match compared to Blue. Now, in real life, Blue is a well-read fan of literature and the game of lore, where Green isn't that strong on reading in person, but is a good chap around the table. The GM has prepared a series of riddles and clues and explains these to the players. Blue quickly figures out the answer to these and sort of blurts them out. This happens from time to time and puts me in a bit of a a bind because the riddles were meant for green, but Blue does does the muscle work. Here is my question. Of course, skill like swordplay or run fast wouldn't be carried into the game itself since we're playing tabletop. But out-of-game skills that players can carry easily make a character figure out things wouldn't normally figure them out. So how do I best balance this out without, you know, ruining this game? So he's so he's goes a lot of colors. All right. So <laughs> one character one character is playing somebody who's stupid. Yep. But he's a very he's intelligent player. Correct. Then you have a person who's not as I want to say not as smart as blue. Yeah. Not, not as, as well read. Not as good at yeah. puzzles. Not as good as, yeah. as yeah. Not as yeah. clever as the one character. But yeah. he's playing a clever character. Yes. Sure. And the guy is trying to figure out a way to make it so the make it so that the yeah the 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 
person that is uh, a little bit uh, quicker on the uptake who's trying to play a dumb character, not oil it for the new set. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, first off, props to the DM for trying to cater to the characters within the game and, and try to get different personalities involved in the game. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think, Joe? Um, well, the easy, the easy answer would probably be there's probably not a way you can break meta to that point because then you're you're effectively you're effectively asking someone to not be as smart as they are that's often represented as a um um, I'm gonna say a not a logical fallacy, but it's it's usually denoted as something called a spiral of science, silence, where the um, I guess the best analogy would be kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, where you know the large the, you know the really big kid on the playground is a great football player, but he's also really intelligent. But in order to be taken seriously as a good football player, he actually has to pretend to be dumb, and so. Um, like I said, that's usually represented as a downward spiral, known as a spiral of silence. Um, so you, you, I think it's kind of inappropriate to ask someone in the terms of a game, because let's remember, this is just a game, to to put that side of himself aside. Now, that doesn't mean that the two players can't collude um, you know, at the game table, because if because if Blue knows the answer to it already, he can just you know simply you know whisper aside to Green and just and just say here's the answer to this one. Tell him, you know, and you know there there's really no harm in that, especially if you know both of the both of the characters are together. You know, there's I mean if and especially if that helps keep the game moving along. Because if Green's going to spend all night trying to figure out... <laughs> figure out how to put the square peg into the round hole? Yeah, I then there's... That yeah, you're, you, you killed your own game. And this is my point of view as a DM, is very simply there's nothing wrong with what Blue is doing. Because oh, no. he's giving the answer for Green to give it up because well, Green sure. may not... He may spend hours figuring this yeah. out. Mm-hmm. Now... If it was in character, that's different. Yeah. 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 Now if Blue is spouting out as you know the not so smart fighter. Oh yeah, that's the triangle you put into the this to that and you know what, and, yeah. and that's ancient Warwick. You know that's that's there's a problem. Yeah. But as far as another player helping another player with absolutely the answer, yeah. nothing wrong teamwork role baby playing, yeah. role playing games in themselves are cooperative games it's a social yeah. game experience so it, it's really impossible to try to break it up so that well this 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 puzzle is for this player only yeah. this puzzle is for you only and you cannot help him you know it's yeah. it's cooperative so no, yeah. you know, let them let them help each other out yeah, i would say sure. if, uh, you know if if you want you know separate them put them in different rooms or not say put them in different rooms but have them like you know their characters are separate and if you feel like you need to separate them and offer him you know offer green his puzzle and offer blue his puzzle at a separate time you know, you could do that, but that just kind of defeats the purpose of the social gaming. Or, indeed. or if blue blurting it out loudly is something that, you know, maybe offsetting the game or upsetting it, have them just pass notes. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, absolutely. That way they, it doesn't have to be loud and obnoxious. Uh, another, another fun thing I would think that to do would be, uh, you know, 
you know, t- t- you know t- take the player aside, say, hey, I want to try to make a, a puzzle for him. If you figure it out uh, sooner, give him a chance to figure it out. You know, you can hint him, help him along, and try to help him reach it. But if, you know, it gets to the point where it's stagnating the show, the game, you know, we'll do some, like, you know, some chat, some sort of check, and your character will kind of bumble his way through the situation. Yeah. I... I, I still like the ability to help. I'm a yeah. little, so I'll, I'll be a little bit on on the other side of okay. that. I would say that if Blue knows this answer, uh, number one, let let's just say it's a riddle written on a stone wall, okay? And but it's in a language that Blue's character doesn't know, mm-hmm. right? Blue needs to shut up unless Green translates that for the group. Yeah. You know, hey, I'm translating this. I'll read it out. Here's what the riddle says, okay? But then the challenge that I give Player Blue is to figure out a way to communicate the answer in some sort of, in in a character-appropriate way to, to communicate that answer instead of just being like, hey, man, this is the answer, let's go. Figure out a way to role-play that answer. And if your character is super dumb, then maybe you're saying the wrong words, but you're still gently nudging player green into figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that kind of stuff. I would rather see the group get a little stumped, but it, it really takes the responsibility of, in this scenario, player Blue to realize that he could very easily meta it, but it would be a cooler experience for the group if he actually role-played through it. Even if he knows the answer, he can drop hints or ask uh, apparently really stupid questions that would actually help Green arrive at the answer. Yeah. Indeed, there is certainly nothing wrong with... Um I guess, sort of coaching someone towards the truth, you know, because I mean, it's, yes, you are asking, for the most part, leading questions, but there's, there's no harm in that. That being said, though, if player green doesn't get it after like 10, maybe 15 minutes, um, then maybe player blue actually just needs to scream it out because these riddles and these challenges, uh, I, orange, I, it's, it's so orange. (laughs) I've just I've I've been in a lot of games where riddles were important and there there's very little that will kill a game's pace quicker than putting in a riddle that nobody can solve and you just go screw it we can't figure it out let's go to this door instead uh, and then you've just kind of ruined the DM's night but the DM has to recognize that before they get to that point and help coach them along. Well, then mm-hmm. that, that's when the DM has to be quick on his toes to find yeah. a way around that. Yeah. Because obviously it's too difficult to yeah. and you have to figure Yes, and that is the Dungeon Master's responsibility. My, my favorite role ever, Knowledge Remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Roll it, Knowledge Remember. Oh, you remember this piece of information. Oh, I solved the puzzle. It's that easy. <laughs> right, let's move on to the next one. Alright, uh, Stan's writing in. I have only played D&D so far, but I'm not that happy with it. Mainly because the results are so binary. Take, for example, picking a lock. You roll a dice, you add your lock picking modifier, and compare that to a static number indicating the difficulty. You roll equal or higher to the DC, you succeed. If you roll lower, you fail. This just seems so gamey to me and too binary to feel authentic. Is there a way to make the transition between success and failure less or all or nothing? Like, oh, you rolled a 19 to 21 for a DC, 20 lock. You open the door, but a negative effect, like a broken uh, lock pick happens. You roll 22 or more, you succeed uh, without negative effects. You roll 10 to 18, you just fail. 
and so on. Now obviously I can just use a homebrew rule for this, but I'm looking for something that's somewhat more integrated with D&D. It's like a, an optional rule set or something, if possible, like a D&D 5th uh, edition solution, but 4th uh, or 3.5. Well, hmm. honestly, no. So, uh, so let's just back up to, to the beginning, right? Like these, these dice rolls are there to simply. Um, the, so the stats are there to measure the character's capabilities yeah. and everything on the sheet. If you want to do something, how capable is your character? That's what the number and the die is associated mm-hmm. with. The role is just to say, hey, this time you succeeded or this time you failed. That being said, um, I do feel that advantage-disadvantage kind of could fit into that, right? That, yeah, that's yeah. what it's there for. And, and so, but advantage-disadvantage could go into 3-5 easily or 4 easily enough, yeah, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, and so... Um, what was he? Stan? Stan. So Stan, that, that could be something. If you're not familiar with advantage, disadvantage, if you are in a situation, let's go to the lock-picking scenario. Um, if you get close but don't necessarily hit that DC, you roll a 19 instead of a 20, um, maybe you allow the character to pick the lock, but then they're at disadvantage the next time they go to pick a lock because of the fact that they broke their lock pick or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Disadvantage means that you roll two d20s for your next kill and you take the lowest. And that's a way to say, hey, you know what? You were pretty close this time, so we're just going to hand wave that you did it, but you're totally screwed next time you do this because you have a broken instrument. And the advantage side of that is if you you score like a critical or you go really high over the DC, uh, on the next time you do it, you roll two d20s and you take the highest. And that could just be, oh man, my my lock picking mojo is just off the charts tonight. <laughs> you know, something like that. That could be a way that, and you can plug advantage disadvantage into any system uh, very very easily. Yeah. If, if we just told you how to do it. Um, so that could be one way, but that's still a die roll mechanic associated. Well, with yeah. It. So here's what the DM said again. Uh, I have experience in this. Yeah. This is an opportunity for the DM to step up. You know, if let's say he's a, the thief is there picking the lock and they have to get a twenty, like he says, and he rolls a ten. This is an opportunity for the DM to say, You failed your lock pick check, but you bent your lock pick or something happened, something triggered or there was a response. You know, this is if someone's taken the time to put a lock there and secure that lock. There's something valuable behind that, and more than likely, if it's a thief or someone knowledgeable, there's going to be a trap or something that will result in that lock failing. Could be something along the lines of, you successfully picked it, but you were so loud doing it, they know that you're coming. Correct. Yeah. You know, it it doesn't have to be the end-all, yes, you did it, or no, you didn't. It could be, oh, hey, you got an 18, you picked it, but... When you mm-hmm. did it on an alarm one, or you know, or, yeah. you know, the the uh, the sound of the lockpick hit clicked so loudly that the orcs on the other side are now aware of your presence. Yeah, so you, know, you, you don't get you don't have the drop on them like you were hoping. Yeah. So there is still a consequence to mm-hmm. your action, but you still succeeded. Uh, you know, if it's a really high number, then it's like, man, you are so on your game. You're so amazing. Yeah. It's not even a you know, the whisper of the wind makes more noise than you do mm-hmm. uh, at picking this lock. 
you know, that's where you can be fun and creative. And not only that, you can, you know, as a player, you can kind of jump in and play on that and say, you know, hey, yeah, I sucked at this role. You know, this happened. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, it's the DM's decision to, to decide to go with that. But if you're throwing that out, the DM's going to go, hey, great. You know, it, you can have fun with it, this experience. It doesn't have to be that static or binary number of, mm-hmm. oh, I failed or, oh, I didn't. Yeah, I would say, though, uh, with with a certain provision that it's kind of important not to do that every single time because once uh, because once players begin to expect a certain result based off of their actions, yeah. they you you Change sort it up. well yeah because you you sort of created the um, expectation or you've you've created a scenario where it, players are dissuaded from doing certain things because they know that if I do this. I know that this will happen, you know. So, so I mean, use. So uh-huh. I would say, do that, but use sparingly. Yeah. You know, don't don't overuse. Yeah, do yeah on any on any kind of skill check uh, or any similar sort of action. You know, just because you know, it's like there's nothing worse than someone who's supposed to be really really good at I don't know. We'll just say hunting and tracking, who no longer wants to do it because they expect to have something bad happen even though they succeeded. Well, I mean, this is one thing I, I know we've mentioned several times. Let's say, you know, his check is a 10. This is the base check is 10. Mm-hmm. And we know all night he's been rolling at least a 5 or a 6 every time minimum. You know, at that point, it's like, okay, you know, it's a DC check of 12 on this lock or 15. Just let it pass it. Yeah, just, just hand wave it. Yeah, you, yeah you've, you've done it. it you it, were so good, you, you, you know, you just... You are on your game today. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I'd say you know to kind of uh, you know add on to uh, what Joe says is you know do that you know say, talk about the you know you you made it this way you made it that way and little add-ons to that you know do it if it's like either skin of the teeth just barely made it it was just off by one point of uh, passing. Yeah, especially family. when the stakes are high. Yeah, when the stakes are high when it when it it actually matters to the narrative if it's like. They're unlocking the broom closet because that's where the barbarian sword was locked up, and there's you know there's nobody behind there, and they already killed all the guards. Yeah, you failed your first lock pick, and you made your first lock pick. It took you a little bit extra longer. Yeah. Here's your sword, barbarian. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. All right. I think we've, we've hit. Yeah, we, don't that, ever let the rules get in the way of a good story. No, that, that no, way, hell, we're, we're, we're ten tell it, brother. To the end of the day, so let's All right. get more from your game. Get this moving. So we hell have yeah. one more. <laughs> okay. Yet again about locks. Okay. Okay. Uh, Rachel writes in. I failed to open a lock. Now what? Picking a lock typically requires a DC 15 dexterity check. Basic rules, page 49. Likewise for manacles, page 50, which can. Alternately, be uh, escaped with a DC 20 dexterity check or broken with a DC 20 strength check. Mm-hmm. But what happens if you fail? Try, try again. Yeah. They're, they have rules in 3 5 for take 10 and take 20, right? Mm-hmm. Where you just say, I'm taking 10 and yeah. it gives you a, 20, a 10 to your roll. Mm-hmm. You add your modifier, you take 20, you get a success. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's this time increment at that point. What is it, 10 minutes or 20 minutes? Yeah, you, right? yeah. And yeah. so, like, rules like that can really help. Because, again, like, no no campaign in existence should ever be stalled because the frickin' thief is rolling crappy and can't pick a lock that night. Well, I don't know. You could you could have fun with that, though. I mean, say the, he 
he can't pick that lock, and he does not know why. But th- there, who knows? Maybe there's a spell on that. Yeah. And, you know, and now the characters have to go barging into the dungeons to save the thief. You know, there could be some fun in, in that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it comes down to story and twisting that around. Yeah. But you know, if you guys are all stuck in the dungeon, and you're the thief, and you can't pick the lock worth a damn, and you rolled ones and twos and threes all night because you know your character yeah. is supposed and to be. And it happens. You know, it's amazing. It that can happen. But throw a twist in the story. Maybe a guard. You know, that's when you know, and that's when other players can have fun. You know, maybe someone thinks that they're ill, and you have a guy come in, and then you knock him out, and then well, he's got keys on. Him. Yeah. Let's take the keys. There are ways around it. But that's opportunity to think outside the box. Unfortunately, there are nights when we're not on our games, and so, I mean, let's face it, uh, at Gen Con, I was the expert yeah, yeah, tracker, I was about to bring that and up. I couldn't find a plot. I could, well, listen, you couldn't I find, couldn't find the VW bug in front of me. Couldn't find East in the sun during a, the sunrise. Exactly. That was how bad he was. I mean, the only time I could find something was when the DM was describing that something was right in front of me, and then I rolled beautiful. We were standing, we were standing at a moat, and I jokingly told his character that I'd push him in. But he'd probably get lost halfway down. <laughs> I mean, that's just how it was. I mean, the rest of my roles were great, except for when I was doing that. There are times when that happens. Everyone loved it, uh, and that's when you have fun and try to think outside the box. Well, you know, but I, I wouldn't say completely hand it over. In some cases, if it's part, you know, make it part of the story. If it's part of the story, you got to stick to that. But yeah. if not, just let them pay. Yeah, it'll let, let the door matters. Yeah. You know, uh, have them make that role and have it have it actually, you know, have the consequences of what happens to fail or not. If it's something arbitrary or something, you know, completely meaningless to the story, then, you know, they pass it, they pass it, they fail it. You could have it just be like, it's jammed shut. You can't open it ever again. Yeah. And it's a door they can't get into. So so let's, I mean, so let's talk about some alternatives, though, which is also what she's asking, right? Yeah. Uh, so number one. Do you have a uh, flask of oil on you or an oil lantern that you can smash on the wooden door and set it aflame well, and let it burn well, out? Well, let's just say if you're in manacles, you're probably in a dungeon and you probably well, it was, was it manacles or was it just picking a lock? Well, she, 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 did, she did manacles okay. and she also did doors. So so if it's a door, burn the damn thing down. Well, you can burn it down. You can mm-hmm. throw axe. a dwarf at it. Yeah, I mean, if, like it's a wood, <laughs> if it's a wooden door, you got an axe. Yeah. You know, maybe you have a barbarian that has a strength of 18. He's eventually going to be able to kick yeah, it just, in. Yeah, just shoulder ram that thing. Trying to figure out if the lock or the door or the hinges were made by the local alcoholic black. I mean, Night of, <laughs> Night of the Hunter, one of my favorite scenes in that book, is... Bruder comes running down at a full charge, jumps in the air, uh, Wolfgar grabs him, spins around, and then throws him into the door. Yeah, perfect. And he puts the shield in front, head down, and slams into the door. Yeah. You could probably do perfect. something like that. Yeah. 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 Do, do a dexterity and a strength check. Yeah. And then a bash, yeah. and you're good. You know, but, is, but is he proficient in dwarf? Night of the Hunter, you had Artemis Entry picking a lock with a yeah, thumbnail. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, who knows? There are several options. Think outside the box. There is yeah. the, the box. You know, with the, the manacles. You know, maybe you can you know use your strength and break through it. If not, you know, maybe you can find some dirt or some oil that you can get in underneath, and then you use your dexterity to slip out. Or you do what Antonio. 
You do what Antonio Banderas did in Assassins, dislocate your thumb yeah. and slip your manacles that way. Yeah. Or just break your thumb and then slip it out that way. Uh, I mean, I'll, go, I'll go back to the door, too. Um, most hinges, if you like, historically were a like a set hinge where you would set the door down on top and, and then it would create the hinge. So yeah. figure out a way to lever the door up and yeah. just knock it off its damn hinge and kick it open. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. Um, some other, maybe some other alternatives then is... Uh, um, part of your adventuring kit, maybe a screwdriver. Yeah. You can always just, uh, yeah. or some Probar. similar Probar. similar in, implement. Yeah. yeah, something you can um, just pry the hinges off. Or if you're in a modern day setting, um, not that I condone, you know, you know, shooting firearms in public places, but uh, you know, a shotgun to the door hinges or to the doorknob. If you're um, using breaching rounds, otherwise it's gonna ricochet. Yeah, it's just gonna ricochet back right at you. But yeah. you know. <laughs> and, and, and no one minds a little bit of team. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as as, uh, as a, a saying that we, uh, we I, I I would always uh, bring up, there are very few problems in life that cannot be uh, fixed but through the application of high explosives. Yeah. There you go. All right. How, how about uh, how about chill touch? So that it riddles the. No, I mean, that, yeah, that's a, a, a perfect application of it. Applications of magic, you know, past door, uh, dimension door. Oh, I come mean, on, past door is easy. Come on. I yeah, know. but there are those options. We're looking for practical. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we are out of time for. We are. Oh, three minutes left. With that said, we will have another exciting show next week where we have. Uh, oh yeah, so <laughs> wow, deer in the headlights. Uh, hey, so a buddy of mine, his name is K. M. Alexander, uh, will be on the show as a um, as a guest author. Um, he has a book out called um, The Stars Were Right. It is uh, a little Cthulhu, a little whodunit. Uh, he may murder me for saying that, but uh, but it's an awesome little uh, noir book that he wrote. And next week on the 14th, Old Broken Road, the sequel to The Stars Will Write, will be released. So we're going to have him on on Thursday, two days after the release, have him talk about his book. Um, if you know K.M. Alexander, uh, you can check him out there, just kmalexander.com. Um, and uh, see his stuff and email in some questions or call in next week and we'll be happy to answer those. Nice. And we'll also be having the UGeek Media guys come yeah. in. They're going to be coming in once a month. On yeah, UGeek. Okay. And I don't know for sure, but I've heard there's a rumor that they will be giving away something on there. Okay. So if you want to get free stuff, and I know I want free stuff. Yeah, free stuff, free stuff, free stuff. Yeah. And only that, uh, just a shout out for Salt Lake Comic Con, they are doing a special uh, cosplay uh, class yeah. this month. And you can go join them and, and learn. And there's uh, they also do scholarships. So if you can't afford the fee, they do scholarships that will help you afford that fee. That's at the Leonardo, that right? That is at the Leonardo downtown Salt Lake. So check that out. Uh, not only that, uh, there's a lot more exciting stuff coming down the pipeline, as we said. We're going to change something. Every week, you're going to have something new from us, so that you, every show will be different. So, okay. Uh, it's going to be lots of fun, and the same, exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. I, I just got to say props out. I think his name was John. The guy called in. Yeah. Asked Bob a question. Yeah. That was very, that was, that's what we expect when we yeah. say, give us a call give us if a you've got a question. Call. So, John, my hat is off to you. You are a scholar and gentleman, all around well, fine human being. I want to say thank you to all the people that emailed in the question. Yeah. Yes. So, Those as well. With that said, catch us next week. 
Stay tuned to our uh, social media pages. There's lots of stuff coming. That's right. Do it, Rockapel. Wait, no. no, no. Okay. Wrong Whoops, yeah. wrong one. Sorry, I was having a flashback. <laughs> redo. Yeah, redo. Until next time, good night, Salt Lake. Good night, world. And please, always get more from your games. I was wondering when El Cid, when, when Captain, uh, ah, crap, let me, uh, <laughs> retire. here. I was wondering when El Capitan was going to go get a chance to use his pop gun. Right. There you go. And thank you, as always, for our proposal game for hosting us for every show. And we will return next week. Stay tuned. And more excitement will be coming. So catch you next time, guys. Ciao. Wow, we still have 10 seconds. Holy cow, so much what? right there. Hey, wow. <laughs> what did I say? Goodbye, Rise of the King. All right, Dalton, we love you. Absolutely. It's a great book.